Welcome to the Church of Mavis radio show. It's Friday night, 7.07 p.m. Central. Got Jay with us here tonight. Jay's How's rocking it. it. You doing yeah. Joe's, Joe's gig after this? Yes, I'll be on politics, Joe's. Politics? Politics, po- well, po- news and politics. War in Ukraine, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, tonight's guest, Edward Pandemonium. It's great to have you here, Edward. How are you doing? Uh, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me, and I want to thank my friends, Marshall and Laura, for letting me come and use their equipment to talk to you. And then we got Brian Gerard. He's recommended you, so that's a, that's another dude to thank. For me and and you, uh, he, he recommended you. Uh, Don Webb. Very good. Thank you, Brian. I think I know him through Don Webb and Stephen Flowers. I know he's asking for more Don Webb and Stephen Flowers on the show. So that's uh, I got Don Webb coming, but Stephen Flowers love the guy, but he hates technology. I swear he just does not like any kind of tech. He's been on the show before, but I think just because of the StreamYard thing, he like ain't coming on. So I don't know. (laughs) It's just weird. I think he's Amish. But I'm not mad about it. As happens, but uh, well, he's going to hate this conversation. Then, as we get into talking about my book, The Agathon Engine, if you all read that during our preparation time. Yes, yes, indeed. And uh, I know you talk about waves. I had some Swedish Arthur on about waves. Are you talking about like waves of energy that cause consciousness expansion and things like that? No, um, the fourth wave concept comes from. Um, the book the third wave by alvin toffler that came out in 1980 he talked about different uh socio-cultural waves that have happened in history you know originally we had hunter-gatherer societies and what he calls the first wave was settled agriculture and the development of city-states and things like that and then the second wave was the industrial revolution uh, factories and the third wave was computerization and what I propose as being the fourth wave is that all of those technologies and the advances in computerization with artificial intelligence and robotics, nanotechnology, regenerative medicine, all these things as they not only grow in and of themselves, but converge with each other will result in a civilization in which consciousness itself is the most important resource that we have as a civilization because it will be the consciousness that runs all of this machinery that does all the heavy lifting and everything for us. And so that's not just ordinary, uh, you know, consciousness and, and creativity and things like that. But, you know, to tie in more to the kind of things that I guess you guys talk about on this show, uh, untapped potentials of consciousness that we don't uh, have yet as humans fully. And, uh, you know, that, with everything else being handled by machinery, that leaves us free to pursue those things much more deeply as a, as a culture, as our, yes. primary, as our primary activity. So what would you consider a wave, though? Is it energy? I mean, what is it? Well, he just called them waves in the sense that they were transformative waves that, that, that happened in culture and civilization. You know, is it, you're... You've got cave people, hunter-gatherer societies, things like that. You know, the, this wave of 
agriculture changed everything because people started staying in one spot. They started building cities and, you know, that completely changed human existence. And then, you know, with the industrial revolution, as things became industrialized and, uh, that's when technology really started to go, uh, you know, that was a wave that changed everything entirely and computerization has done exactly so it's kind of like you could a wave that washes over or rolls over like the human species you know changing our whole like way of existence from what it was previously was alvin toffler's idea and i'm just kind of extending that further have you seen some of those weird stories where they see uh beams of energy going from planet to planet and things like that like the sun will send out one or things like that and it hits the earth those are I've kind seen of the ones that supposedly came from like the earth i saw one i remember that went from the earth to space or to the moon or something like that yeah it's weird it's like a i don't know what it is it's almost like a planet sending information to a planet i don't know what it is but it's weird <laughs> it's strange whatever well, there's this this idea that there are like some kind of underlying communication structures throughout the universe that are like, you know, either naturally forming or some people have said that, you know, if you have an alien civilization, that's technology is sufficiently advanced, their technology basically becomes the laws of the universe. So, you know, whichever way you want to look at it, that there are, uh, you know, people talking about these mega structures, you know, that connect seemingly unconnected things in the cosmos i'm not really too knowledgeable about that though but i mean yeah. i've heard of it it's interesting for sure uh i don't know crap about it either but i've seen little weird space stories you know those from space sites and stuff about it how they're always like detecting weird uh messages and don't know what they are or whatever and everybody of course thinks it's aliens and all that stuff but uh so what what started you on your journey of all this i mean what was the catalyst was it when you were younger what what was the the, the catalyst the, orig the origin story my origin story yes <laughs> and, uh, and before that were you someone besides edward pandanonium and you took on that name that's like your your superhero name <laughs> uh, I would say it's definitely my superhero name. Yeah, it's uh, my my name was always Edward, though. Um, the it people always ask me this in interviews, and it's it's either it's a it's an answer that's either unsatisfying or maybe not even believable to people. But just I came out of the womb with an interest in certain tropes and ideas, and you know pursued them as best as I could as you know my brain allowed and as far as like at, at my whatever age i was and whatever resources were available and things like that and uh you know your your tagline for me self-made philosopher and futurist is perhaps not entirely true i did take classes on futurism at the university of south florida when i was maybe like 12 i think um they were just enrichment classes they weren't i'm not i wasn't in college at 12 or anything like that i'm not saying yeah. that but but i did take those classes and uh of course things were very different back then that was you know 40 years ago and it was all buckminster fuller and geodesic domes and, and this and that but there's obviously been a lot of change 
since that time. So I've always just had an interest in how things work, whether that be very mundane things like politics and economics and science and technology on the one hand, or, you know, more, you know, esoteric and somewhat uh, outre things on, on the other. And, uh, I'm probably more known for that, but this, this work that I'm doing now with, with uh, the material that was in the Agathon engine is what I'm really like pursuing publicly right now. What is the house of life? Well, the house of life does kind of go back to a esoteric kind of spiritual thing. You know, it's it's something that we created for the public and uh, as a kind of halfway thing, because, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of the kind of, you know, esoteric things I've studied are not ever going to really be appealing to the average person. And so this is something that's like more accessible. It combines ideas on the spiritual side. Well, okay, let me back up a minute. You have within the transhumanism movement certain religious organizations like Terrasem, which is founded by Martin Rothblatt, who did, uh, who created Sirius Radio, and is a transhumanist religion. And you have the uh, Church of Perpetual Life here in Florida that was uh, created by the people who started the Life Extension Foundation, which was interesting to find out about because that's where I've always gotten a lot of my supplements and things. Uh, and I've looked at them and they're okay as far as they go, but they're not really satisfying as religions, I don't think. So I wanted to take the idea, because they get together and they talk about cryonic suspension and life extension and intelligence expansion and things like this. And that, that's all well and good. But I feel like there should be some kind of a spiritual development program for someone there, because I think that with the transformation that exists with an idea like transhumanism and so on, you can't really go into that with a human psychology. You have to, you have to transform yourself from within first before you can like take on those technologies, because if you do it with the same kind of limitations and defects that, you know, people have in ordinary life. I mean, it doesn't work out. So the house of the idea behind the house of life was that we would take all these ideas of transhumanist uh, becoming and transformation, and we would combine them with, with a, a mental discipline and a, and a, and a spiritual ba a real spiritual basis, like a religion. So there, there are things in it that are, comparable to like the new thought movement for example if you're familiar with that is from the early part of the 19th century late 1800s it has to do with um well you know a lot of a lot of the like kind of whitewashed things like positive thinking and, and so on are from the the new thought movement but if you look at the actual thing it goes much much deeper and uh mitch horowitz the author mitch horowitz if you're familiar with him has been doing a lot to revive new new thought um, so there are aspects of it that are like that, and those are kind of married to more modern transhumanist ideas and create a sort of third thing through their synthesis. Uh, it's very early days for the house of life yet. So I, I can't really go into a lot of detail about what we're doing and how that works out. But, um, we do have a Facebook page where I post 
mostly technology news, sometimes uh, more spiritual things. As it, as it grows, it'll take off. I'm not sure where we'll really end up. It's only a very small uh, group of people. It's just a handful of people right now that are even involved in it to any degree. Uh, I, I, we do have a, a set of nine tenets that I sent to you. If you wanted to talk about those, you know, that would be, that would be fine, but it's still very much, uh, in gestation, but hopefully I've explained the gist of it enough to be of benefit. And then the first principle recognition of the mind fire of awareness. Uh, what do you mean by mind fire? Like just the power of the mind? Yes. Um, you, you know, I talk about the mind fire also in the Agathon engine. It's, uh, kind of a poetic term, you know, consciousness is often, you know, described as fire or light. I, kn I know that when I was a boy, I won our county spelling bee in the sixth grade and they gave me a trophy. And at the top of the trophy was a lamp, like Aladdin's lamp. And I think that's a symbol that's used a lot in schools and, and so on. And, and it's the same same idea, fire, light, you know, and of course the brain itself is highly electrical, just in a very, you know, mundane expression. So it seems like a good metaphor. Yeah. So who were some of your influences growing up, author-wise or teacher-wise? Mm. You know, Mitch Horowitz. I've heard of him, but I'd have to do some digging to see what he what he did. I've I'm heard sorry, that name. I've, I've heard of Mitch Horowitz before. Yeah, well, no, Mitch, I only came across a couple of years ago, a few years ago, a few years back. Um, talked to him on Facebook so much. He, he's not involved with Facebook anymore. Um, you know, some people got really mad at Facebook and left for their various crimes and sins of Zuckerberg and others of us have stuck it out. <laughs> but uh, he, he's one who got fed up with Facebook, so I kind of lost any contact with him at that point and uh oh gosh i was influenced by so many people i mean gosh there's so many people who for this particular kind of work who can i say that i was most influenced by i'm not even entirely yeah. i'm not even entirely sure there was so much i mean if you read you know if you read the the book you you saw me reference like so many different people and ideas and concepts it all just kind of like gathered in my mind over the decades and stewed there and came out in a in a pattern uh, this is not a very satisfying answer uh, i understand and i i'm sorry but oh it's fine it's fine uh, no no one person is kind of like jumping out at me right now i can say that peter diamandis is somebody that everybody should look be looking at He's, uh, he's written a number of books. Uh, one is called Abundance that talks about how like abundant and wealthy like the world will be through like these convergences of technology that we have uh, in the future. Then he wrote another book called The Future is Faster Than You Think that tells us how this is happening much more quickly than people might imagine that it would. He, you know, he's fantastic. I, I highly recommend reading his blogs, signing up for his emails. Um, he runs uh, Singularity Hub at Singularity University. 
He founded the X Prize, which basically opened the door for private space travel. Um, fantastic guy. Uh, Virginia Postrel, or Postrel, I don't know how that's pronounced. I hope if she's listening, I pronounce it right. Wrote a book called The Future and Its Enemies, where she talks about dynamism versus stasis in terms of like political and economic thinking. Some people want to either have like a reversion to like the past, some kind of past ideal or to uh, kind of very heavily managed technocratic future. Uh, and she calls those stasists after stasis and dynamism is much more free and open. Uh, I, I think her book is essential reading for anybody interested in the things that are going on now. Um, those two people, I think, I think Peter Diem, uh, other than my own book, The Agathon Engine, of course, I think Virginia Postrel, The Future and Its Enemies, and anything by Peter Diamandis are the most important things. I found, his, yeah, I found his abundance book. I saved it so I could find it later. Looks like tenfold, aluminum full. <laughs> it is shiny. Yes. Does he mean, is it kind of like abundance like you would think in like the self-help movement, like shamanism and stuff, like just the abundance? <clears throat> no, it's, a fact, it's based on the idea that like technology will be so advanced that we'll be able to produce anything super cheaply. You know, uh -oh. I don't know what happened to Jay, but I did see him. <laughs> uh oh, I, I see something in the comments. Oh, that's somebody else. I'm just making sure he didn't say anything. Well, uh, uh yeah, I saved this book to check out uh, for sure. So, what about uh, psychedelics? Do you get into that? Is that something you, ex you explore with or open to? I have. I uh been a while but no actually not that long but <laughs> i have to be careful with that stuff though it makes it crazy well I like, the I like the stuff that's short they're a um how can i put this they're an amplifier certainly so the question comes down to what are they amplifying you know timothy leary back when he said there was three components of a psychedelic experience the set which is your mindset going into it the setting which is your environment and what's going on during your experience and the dose which is not just how much you've taken but the quality and what you've taken and what its properties are and things like that so going forward we have to really think about the set and the setting the dose is you know almost self-explanatory and the reason i the reason that you know i i think this is important now is because these things are starting to become legal in different places and uh there's both tremendous benefit and there's potential for like tremendous harm because you know if you're giving someone psychedelics and trying to like pump a philosophy into them to indoctrinate them through the set and the setting you can really cause harm to society and you know another thing that timothy leary had was he had these psychedelic commandments which i can't remember off the top of my head word for word but they were basically like thou shalt not prevent a human from altering their own consciousness and the other one was thou shalt not 
alter the consciousness of a person without their consent. So that's the idea that if you're like putting people through, and I mean, you know, you look at psychology as it's already existed. Psychology is, uh, you know, got a really bad uh, history of leading people. You know, my, my thought is that a person should be allowed to figure things out for themselves, work things out for themselves. Uh, a therapist is there just to facilitate that process, not to guide it or try to push it towards a certain end. And, you know, you look at the way that has happened in psychology so far, and then you throw a mental amplifier like psilocybin or LSD or whatever into the mix it becomes a, a much bigger, uh, a much bigger concern, a much bigger problem. So I think that even if, as I've talked to people, I've said, even if you personally do not endorse this, I, then I mean, I'm talking to philosophically like-minded people here, supposedly, uh, if you don't endorse this, you have to understand that it's going to happen. People are going to be do doing it and you want to at least create some kind of a version of it that is pure, that is safe, you know, and uh, to exist in, in counter as a counter to, uh, you know, flat out mind control, you know, the, there's nothing else really to call it. Just, you know, there's the potential for like flat out manipulation and mind control is there. So, it's 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 one of those things that's like in the agathon engine i talk about the technology itself right the the crossroads that we're at as a civilization with technology is that within a very short period of time we are going to have godlike technology now that technology is also an amplifier so how that technology is used depends on what our culture is and what our values are and what's in place at the time that that technology comes into play. The psychedelic thing is the same way. It can be used for either great good or, or ab absolute destruction of consciousness and like enslavement of uh, the mind. You know, this is uh, kind of hyperbolic talk, but it isn't really. It's, 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 quite, it's quite real, it's quite uh, true. If you're, giving people, if you're giving people a psychedelic and subjecting them to a form of therapy that is mind control essentially, you know, you're going to have a lot of very damaged people and that's not going to make things better. Definitely. We had a, a guy on Dr. Richard Allen Miller not too long ago. He was one of Timothy Leary's uh, experiments. He was a men's level genius. He's a scientist, but that was a trip show. That dude reminded me of the guy from the scientist, uh, Rick and Morty dude that even burped sometimes. Like It was like, <laughs> even one time, like, I don't know what I thought of everything he said, but, I mean, he was legit. He's been on coast to coast and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, but I swear he was rambling. And one time he's like, I, I met a gray alien in a mech suit. And I was like, what did he just say? <laughs> like, I mean, we've had guests on like that, so it's not that out of the ordinary. But it was just it was just a trip for sure. But he, uh, he was one of Timothy Leary's... Uh, I guess experiments when the government was doing all that, you know, with LSD tests and all that for college students and all that crap. But it was it was pretty interesting. Yeah, I guess I guess what I'm really trying to say about it is that when like Joe Rogan talks about DMT, for example, have you done DMT? 
yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Like and he's, he likes the DMT. But on the other hand, you have Alex Jones. Alex Jones does not like the DMT. They're both right. They both have a point. It's not It's not one or the other. I like DMT because it's short. The other stuff that's long, I usually freak out think I'm going to die. DMT, you at least know you're coming back in 10 minutes or so. so. <laughs> you know, when I was 20 years old, 1990, I wanted to smoke DMT. And I never was able to. Now, I know people who've got it, and I'm much older, and my lungs are bad. I can't smoke. And I definitely can't smoke something like that. So it's like, goddamn. So what? <laughs> that's the, the point. D- I missed the DMT boat. Yeah, that's the point I'm at. I've smoked weed since my 20s. And, you know, uh, luckily I, I did cigarettes on and off a little bit, but not anything too long. But then I took up a vape for a few years. So now I just got rid of the nicotine vape. And I'm trying to just take these nicotine certs or tic tacs or wherever the hell they are mm-hmm. those seem like more nicotine than i was doing when i hit the vape right. so it's like either way you're screwed but either way my concern is lung stuff so is that what happened did you do a lot of cigarettes and stuff no i've never been a smoker i was born uh, somewhat early and had to be in an incubator i've always had kind of weak lungs i'm, I'm usually pretty super healthy but that's kind of my achilles heel um about 2014 i think i had sars i didn't go to the doctor but i think that's what it was because i was i was sick for a solid month um and it took me the rest of the year to eat i got sick around mother's day i was sick for a month and it was the end of the year before i was even right my when i would breathe i would make accordion noises it was crazy and uh Ever since then, it's not, it's not been good. I mean, I'm fine, but, you know, I, there's no way I could, like, smoke DMT yeah. with, with lungs like that. It's just not feasible. I did it a few times. I, I've had trouble getting a hold of it. But there was some other stuff I did that was like the uncle of uh, LSD not too long ago. That was pretty interesting. It was like a, I don't know, they call it the nephew of it. It was shorter, but it was interesting. Right. <laughs> but, uh. And then my concern is, of course, with these weed vapes, who knows what that crap's doing to you, too. So it's like you better just doing tinctures or something or edibles or something. Tinctures don't seem to freak me out as much as edibles for some reason. If you, if you do the there's, right There's really no reason. As I, as I, I don't remember if we were on the air yet when we were talking about this, but no. there uh, was there's there's so much that's legal and becoming legal. There's no it's not even advised to trouble yourself with going through like, you know, the sublegal routes and and everything like that. I mean, in in a few years, everything will be legal. And that's, that's really my, that's really my point with all this is it's going to happen anyway, whether people, you know, that I don't, uh, I don't see, well, you know, I mean, something could happen, some kind of weird cultural turnaround, but you know things are becoming increasingly legal san francisco just passed an ordinance decriminalizing things it's 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 growing it's spreading so it's going to be a thing and as i said before the uh the joe rogan stance and the alex jones stance are both equally valid so it's an it's an issue to really pay attention to and be awake about and, and navigate in a smart way because 
again, it's it, it's basically going to amplify whatever is going on with your mindset and your setting. Yes. So there is a way to go back. You know, in ancient times, they had the mystery religions, the mystery initiations and things like that. Carefully crafted mindset, carefully crafted settings, and they would put you through. And people say some of those were psychedelic, and maybe they were, maybe they weren't, I don't know. But today, you could create settings and mindsets and environments for people to do this in a way that is open-ended, self-directed, rather than a therapist, you know, hammering people over the head with what they should be thinking what the what the good ideas are in society and that they need to adopt and things like we've had with psychology in the past and not only that but you're creating almost like an initiation situation where you're activating through activity epigenetic information in your body you know there's are you familiar with epigenetics i've heard of the term okay well it, it, simple one second version it has to do with the way your environment and your experiences affect how your genes express. Because in your DNA, you have all these genes. Some are turned on, some are turned off. They're affected by your, by your experiences and, and your uh, environment, what genes turn on and which genes turn off. You know, there's, there's studies that people like, for example, who were in the Holocaust, their grandchildren have physical effects because it's of genetic expression you know it, it down the down the line so it's it's it, it almost goes back to lamarckianism in a way which was a which was a idea apart from darwinism that like knowledge and wit and experience would be uh expressed in your in your genes and it was a discredited idea but now with epigenetics some of the i some of it is 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 shown to be valid because you have these experiences that can like radically alter your gene expression and they show up in your children and your grandchildren well uh let's get jay some limelight back with some questions he's came back you got abducted by aliens and then he came back <laughs> i don't know my computer just freezed up and, and went crazy works at um, home depot that's why i look so tired huh <laughs> No, I said I, you work at Home Depot. That's why you look so tired. Yeah, I do work. Tired. Yeah, it doesn't. It, I, I didn't work today though. But yeah, no, I am tired. It's uh, I, I had eight days straight in a row. Well, seven days at work, and then one day off where I did the, the lawn, and I'm just I'm beat. Man, so anyway, just, what, what you were just talking about just then, um, it sounded a lot like uh, the difference between like nurture versus nature. Um, right. Where you talk about the different way genes are activated and whatnot, and I, I think. Um, it's both it's a fusion between the two an interplay between the two yeah and I, and I think it actually absolutely has an effect on how you come out of uh whatever you know what whatever you're encoded to do your environment and nurturing <clears throat> has to help that come out and if you i guess that's why so many of us when we go to college we don't know what we wanted we don't know what we want to take until we get there i i kind of knew but most people are like you know, so undecided so uh maybe if we had more of that people would uh, I guess have more focus, you think? If we had more of what? I'm sorry, I didn't follow. If, if people had more of, of the knowledge of what they really wanted to do uh, with this nature versus nature thing that you're talking about. Because um, like I said, when I went to college, so many people were undecided. I mean, like, oh, sure. I knew. 
Uh, I, I knew what I wanted to do, but I had a, I had a dream. I had a focus. So, I mean, I think you said you, when you were born, you had, a, you know, things that you were interested in already from the beginning. Exactly. Um, so does that, would that help uh, the society if everybody had a clear focus and vision of where they need to go and what they need to do? Yes. And, uh, I, and there's definitely ways that people can tap into that. There's things like what they call, you know, within life coaching, there's what they call life purpose coaching. We could get that kind of thing to, to people in their teenage years. But at the same time, I think people should also be open to the idea that it will change. Yeah. Yeah. And we have that, and we, we have that option now so much. I mean, you know, once upon a time, somebody went into their job, well, you know, mostly men in the past, right? You'd go into it, you'd go into a career, you'd work your whole life, you'd get your gold watch when you were done. And then that was that, that was your, your niche. Now, you know, people don't just jump jobs, they jump careers, they jump entire lifestyles. Mm -hmm. And that's only going to accelerate in the future. And, uh, you know, I think there's so many, there's so many things that, you know, pe people have a tendency, especially now, more so than in the past, I think it's always been true, but I think it's really a chronic illness. Now people think in very strict black and white, either or terms. And there's so many things that are like crucial to our moving forward that are like embracing both sides or cutting across the dichotomy and what, and uh, so I think there is an importance to finding your life purpose your inner drive, your inner motivation, your inner dynamic, that kind of thing, and following it. But at the same time, you need to be open to the idea that it can change. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I went to college for one thing. I came out of college doing another thing. And then when I found a career, it turned out being yet another thing. So I went from wanting to do television production to working in restaurants as a bartender until I found that I liked what I was doing now. And now I work in hardware stores. <laughs> so, <laughs> and sometimes, you know, you need to like wander through like a lot of different things. And then you come out with a synthesis. That's certainly what I did, you know, in my work, I I started out somewhat overwhelmed because there were so many things. And uh, I was like, you know, close to 50 years old before it all gelled together into a thing like the Agathon engine, you know, where it all kind of like meshed and came together. So I don't know. And I think people in the future will have much more freedom to like kind of do that mental wandering because like I said, the technology is going to be doing most of the heavy lifting and, and so on. So it's people need to find that. You know, because if a machine can do all the basic jobs, the only value that like a living, breathing human being has is in finding what their actual core dynamic is and applying it. That's the only that's the that's the way that you add value to society at that point, because there's no reason for you to be a, a beast of burden anymore, so to speak, you know. Yeah. And it, well, also, like you said, if we get a society that's like, you know, Star Trek, like there, there's really no reason why people shouldn't have multiple degrees. I mean, like doctoral degrees in various different, you know, 
disciplines. Uh, I, I know if, if I didn't have to worry about money and food and gas and all the other things we're all panicking about right now, uh, I would be happy learning all kinds of different, you know, disciplines from, you know, archaeology. I wouldn't mind having that. Maybe some biology so that you can, when you go digging for uh, ancient sites, you can identify biologically what type of people you've just dug up. You know, that kind of thing I find fascinating. And there would be no excuse for anyone not having any kind of at least one major advanced degree. But I think also the technology could be the reverse. I mean, it could make, you know, society stagnate. Don't you think that's also kind of a possibility? That's absolutely a possibility. Yeah. And it goes back to, well, actually, it goes back to the thing in psychedelics, the idea of the set and the setting, the mindset and your environment. If we create my, a mindset in people that is about growth and learning, and those are like key things in the culture, and if we have a setting that encourages that, then that's one thing. But if it's just, here's a bunch of stuff, here's your universal basic income, here's your food rations, and here's your video games on the metaverse, and, and so on, then people aren't encouraged to develop. That's the whole thing, is, is making the concept of development and growth and becoming the key value in the society. And it's not anything like that at this point in time. So, I, I mean, there is, the, to, you know, with self-help and things like that, it is to a certain extent, but not in the sense I'm talking about. Now, think about this. With longevity research, I cover a lot of longevity research in my in my groups. I put out a lot of news. We're 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 very close to advanced longevity. A lot of people don't realize that, if not immortality. So, what are you going to be doing? What are you going to be doing in a thousand years? What is your what is you know you've got the time <laughs> to do whatever yeah. you want. So, what are you going to do? You're you're you have to sit down and be like. God damn, I'm just here forever. So what am I going to do? Am I going to just sit here and, you know, eat like hot chips and like <laughs> be in the metaverse and like, you know, do whatever? Or do I have a, do I have a purpose? Do I have a function? You might have like, a, you might go on a quest. I mean, a serious, passionate, intense quest that lasts you like 150 years and then you're done. And then you can be like, oh, what am I going to do next? See what I mean? It's that same idea of, yeah, you have a passion, you have a dynamic, but then you're also open to changing. It's like, you know, to go back to Timothy Leary, he had a formula for the future. Uh, one of the things, you know, when we had our very first meeting of the House of Life, we talked a lot about Timothy Leary because, you know, he's known for in the 1960s, the, the psilocybin experiments, the LSD, all that kind of stuff. Then he was in jail. Then he was on the run from the law after he escaped from jail, all that kind of stuff. 1980s, 1990s, he still was about that, but he got more into culture. He got more into uh, science. He got more into computers, things like that. He came out with a formula called SMILE. Space migration, intelligence increase, and life extension. Space migration gives you the chance to enjoy more space. Life extension gives you the chance to enjoy more time. Intelligence increase is the key to both of the things. 
So intelligence increase is the evolutionary imperative. It is the way forward. It is, and and once we and once we have like worked that out, there are things that we have to like work out in our relationships and in our environments that support and sustain that. Because coming from initiatory traditions, esoteric initiatory traditions, like I talked about, the work that you do on yourself is all well and good. But if it's not supported by your relationships and your environment, again, going back to setting and, you know, it, it will alienate you or it will just fall apart and you'll go back to sleep. So it's a whole, it's a context. It's a whole context. And that word context means woven together. And, and tell me about immortality, which is something you mentioned during this that I just found intriguing. Because uh, I've often said that uh, our science is closer to a cure for death than they are to a cure for like AIDS or even cancer. So <clears throat> what, what can you tell us about that? Because you did mention that during this answer that uh, the longevity tests that you're looking at were really close. I mean, like, what does that mean? How close? Because that... That's something that I thought about for years is what if I had a thousand years, 10,000 years, what, what actually would I do? You know, and there is a chemical called calcium alpha keto glutarate or glutamate. I, I always get it mixed up, but the initials are CA for calcium. And then as a separate thing, AKG alpha keto glutarate or glutamate that has been shown to reverse age that exists now and you can buy it. Wow. And it's like over-the-counter kind of a thing. Yes. It's a little costly, but it's not absurdly costly. What's it called? Calcium alpha ketoglutarate or glutamate. I'm sorry, I can't remember exactly which one it is. I have a question. I mentioned earlier I was drinking gin. Are you Modoc from Marvel Comics? I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, if I was anybody from Marvel Comics, I think I would be Ansaba Noor. <laughs> Who's that? Which one is that? I don't know. Apocalypse. Apocalypse. Movie. <laughs> What's the name again? The name Apocalypse. you said? Apocalypse. Ansaba Noor. Okay, okay. I was just going to... That's just Jonah. between us and however many million viewers you guys have. I was just on a Jonah Hicks uh, comic spree, getting old Jonah mm-hmm. Hicks and stuff. They really screwed that up with that dumb movie, but I really like Jonah Hicks. It's like a weird, funny, Eastwood kind of weird comic. Like a Western, you know. It's a Western, but... I never read the comic. I saw the movie. I don't know how... It was horrible. It wasn't a good movie, but I don't know how well it reflected the comic. Not very but, well. But, uh... There's a my, guy called... Yeah. I'm, go ahead. I'm sorry, what? Go ahead, go ahead. Well, to, to go back to what you were saying with, with, the, with the chemicals, there's a guy called uh, Dr. David Sinclair, who, uh, he's Scottish. He has a whole protocol of things you can take that will euthan you on a biochemical level. Not radically. I mean, this isn't like a film that you're going to take these pills and go to bed and wake up and, like, you know, your hair is back and you're 20 years old and stuff like that. But... They have been they have been shown to work, especially that that one that I mentioned. Um, they're as I say, they're costly, but they're not super costly, and they exist now. And if, and things tend to come down in price 
And, you know, when it, this goes into that idea of with the acceleration of technology, when you can 3D print drugs, uh, you know, I mean, then they get like super cost, uh, super cheap. They, everything comes down in price eventually over time. Um, yeah, that's the thing. And uh, I don't know. We're, we're, we're pretty close. I, I, I have thing. I have I have news all the time that like age has been reversed in my mice. Or but the one I mentioned has been tested in humans and did show did show result. Um. So yeah, we're there. We're there for the people. I know some of the people who follow like my private groups are listening. They see this news that I share every day, and a lot of it comes from Peter Diamandis, who I mentioned earlier. So if you sign up to his his emails, you get this you get this uh, information um, all the time. And so it's like this this uh, all the science fiction things are happening right now. They're just not uh, evenly distributed throughout the world and throughout society yet, but they're happening right now. Uh, Peter Diamandis said that he expected more progress in this decade than in the previous century, which is a bold claim, but with the kind of news that I'm seeing, I don't feel that he's wrong. Now, of course, governments, you know, with their wars and their restrictions and this and that, they can foul this up, but they're really the only thing that can foul it up. If it's left to its own devices, it's happening and will happen. I definitely saved that book. But one of the big reasons we do this show, just to uh, give you some orig uh, origins on it, is uh, my Georgia. It's always just messing me up. It just pops in. That's why I have to do psychedelics. But uh, anyway, uh, when I was 17, Jay can tell my story. No, I'll tell yeah. it. I've told it so many times. 17, testicular cancer. I woke up from exploratory surgery and they said, Jeffrey, we took a nut and you have to go through chemo. I cried. I didn't know what the hell was going on with any of that. I was like, I never, you know, thought I'd ever go through that ever. And then anyway, I went through it all. I'm fine. Went through chemo, crazy $10,000 shots of cadavers and ocean life and just weird X-Men stuff. The bill was crazy. My dad's job told him that he, they should, it cost so much, it'd probably be better just letting me die. So my father was having heart attacks. Thank you. Nice. Got, that was a place called Conair with uh, Aetna Insurance. And uh, anyway, my dad had some heart attacks one week, several years later. And uh, he passed away. And he was actually talking about going up there and he had guns and knives in his car and was going to shoot the place up and kill that one dude that said that. <laughs> and then luckily he passed away and didn't get to do it and damn his soul or whatever. But uh, I started to have a lot of weird experiences with seeing UFOs, things in the sky with multiple witnesses, seeing beings that were you know, whatever, multidimensional from beings of light to little cloaked beings in the woods standing around the black bo a black box. And friends saw this stuff with me and they're like, Jeffrey, you're attracting this here. And I was also very stupid with the occult, like just reading anything on psychedelics, 
reading from, you know, that supposedly fictitious, crazy Necronomicon Simon book, which we've had Peter Lavenda on, which has a connection with that. Just doing stupid stuff. I didn't care. And I think I brought on these experiences and it led to doing the show. And we've had on nuclear physicists about UFOs, Stanton Friedman, who's passed now. We've had an Air Force captain, Robert Salas, who wrote a book and is still enlisted about UFOs shutting down missile silos. And then I also had a big interest in shamanism, and I've had a lot of different people on about that. Serge Kahali King from Hawaii. Uh, I've had Norse, Evelyn Reisdyke, and, uh, you know, all kinds of different people. But basically, it's been about exploring consciousness. And there was even one time where I was having trouble getting guests, and I said a prayer, and I had a weird UFO sighting with multiple witnesses, my brother and nephew, and... There was these red, like, energies in the sky. Like, I called them fireflies. I don't know what they were. But after I said that prayer, the next thing you know, I was getting interviews with people I never thought possible that I'd seen in UFO documentaries, like Lloyd Pye, who had the star child skull, like, lived in Panama City up here. Fantastic. And just, uh, you know, Nick Pope, Nick Redfern, William Burns, the dude from UFO Hunters. Uh, I've interviewed him several times. Just Have you ever- have you ever had the guy, I can't think of his name, but the CE5 guy with his lasers? Stephen Greer? Yes, Greer, yes. I've never had him on, but I, I, I'm, I'm familiar with him. And I, know there's I have a mixed lot of feelings about him because yeah. it's like, you know, it, it, I see his pictures and they look so goddamn fake. But yeah. like, But like he's doing these events and people are seeing things and people are using, you know, it's like it's like in ghost hunting, the EVP thing. You can go out and make your own EVPs. You don't have to like believe the guys on the Ghost Hunter show. You can go to a place, and if you get an EVP, you got an EVP. You know, so these people are going out and they're doing his CE5 protocol. If they see some kind of weird thing in the sky, they saw a weird thing in the sky, regardless yeah. of what they think of him as a person or anything like that. So he has some interesting stuff, but he's a little too close to government stuff. It gives me the creeps, like he's an X Files kind of villain. Well, he was he was backed by the Rockefeller family, and that's that's yeah. all I'll say about that. I've had his best friend on, and yeah. I, I, Steve Alton. He writes novels. Meg, a novel of deep terror. I'm looking at it right now some shark book. I had to remember his name and everything, but I've never had uh, Greer on though, but. Mm. Uh, I don't know if I ever will. I don't know. I just haven't. So I had Jim Mars. That was awesome. He's passed now. He wrote, he wrote a Alien Agenda and also did that Oliver Stone JFK book that made that Oliver Stone movie. But Jim Mars is really cool. There's been so many, but, but basically it's been, you know, an exploration of consciousness. And that's what I think it's about. It's raising awareness uh, and things like that. And uh, the wave theory is definitely very, very fascinating. And I've noticed with psychedelics, I've had weird, like, evolutionary experiences where you felt like a Neanderthal and went through, like, some weird stuff. <laughs> like, weird stuff. So, I mean, there's definitely some evolution in that stuff. Like, in the juice. Uh, in altered states when he woke up in the zoo. Yeah. Like, weird. <laughs> I feel like a monkey. I remember... T- me and some friends like we feel like monkeys or something. <laughs> it was weird. We we're drawing like hieroglyphics on the wall and stuff. With DMT, I actually saw weird symbols on the wall. 
and went up to him was like, is that really there? I was only, I was doing it by myself, a house in the wilderness. And there was strange writing on the wall. And I actually went up to it and was like, what the, you know, feeling it. So that's why I like DMT, but they need to put that in gummies or something. <laughs> <laughs> DMT, or ayahuasca and gummies. <laughs> that is doable. I mean, that's, that's, that's a different, that's a different uh, thing than the smoking experience, I guess. But I mean, that, that's doable and could happen next for all, for all we know. I mean, you know, Oh, it's gone again. Yeah. So, what's the scene down there? Is it like, are you, I mean, in a lot of your pictures, are, are you hanging out with like the golf scene or is it a different scene? I mean, what is it? It seems like you're. Oh, right now I'm kind of a hermit. Uh, not entirely by choice, but just because, you know, like a lot of things happened over the course of the years. Things melted away. You know, I, when I was young, Tampa had the biggest gothic and industrial music scene in the country except for uh chicago and uh i live pretty close to tampa and i was an alternative music kid in the 80s and we started going to clubs and things there and i mean that was a big that was a big uh deal you know because back then uh that music scene wasn't just about music and the clothes you were wearing there were like books and authors that you read there was like all this stuff like tied in together there was movies it was like a whole culture and they all kind of faded away i mean there are still a couple places you can go in tampa for that kind of thing but that all kind of faded out over the years and uh then you know we just had the we were lucky here in florida we didn't have big lockdowns like some of the places did uh but you know when 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 things were locked down uh, I had a place where we were all just kind of meeting privately. That was fun. But some of the people are, you know, the people are moving north from me. And, like, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> the uh, the people uh, that I'm here with now are talking about moving a couple towns north. And a friend of mine here in town did as well. And some people that already lived a couple towns north are moving even a little farther north. I guess I'll be forced to move north, but my my thing with uh, the town that I live in is my family were founders. They were here before it was even incorporated as a town, and we lived on the same land for 106 years, and it, it was kind of a thing, and it's all just kind of falling apart, and they're building, like, 4,000-home neighborhoods and things like that and it's just not the same anymore they're kind of forcing me out in a way but that scientist i told you about said florida's going under and he had like some weird map and all this stuff i was like i hope i'm up top so hopefully you know it won't reach all the way up here if it goes under <laughs> i uh i actually run a group i mean i know you're up in you're up in the panhandle right yeah so, about so georgia like about 30 minutes from dothan alabama well, I have a group for my for my county that's like weird stuff that's happened here in the county because there was an article that said that we were the weirdest county in the weirdest state. And so that provoked me to like start this. I'll, I'll send you an invite for that and you can see some of the stuff that's in oh, here. Yeah, yeah. I think you'd be interested in that. But. Yeah, I'm, I'm from Georgia, but moved down here after my dad died. It was my mom's great, wonderful idea. 
and I like it for the most part, but the heat is just too much at times for me. Uh, it's just too much. So I'm glad it's about to get cold. I'm a Capricorn born the day after Christmas, so I like cooler weather in Florida. Sure ain't. Luckily, I was gonna say, I'm a I'm a sixth generation Floridian. If it gets too much below 70 degrees, I'm very uncomfortable. Really? So really? yeah, thin blood, I guess. I don't yeah. know, but uh, no, I'll send you that. But yeah, no, as social life the last few years has been very poor in a way because like I used to have these huge social circles, but like looking back, they weren't like really the best people. And I have really good people around me now, and I'm very thankful about that, even if it's, like, you know, people I can count on my fingers. So I feel, I feel very good about that. I'm from Georgia, and I had easier friends. I had the easier time making social circles and friends there. Here, something, nothing. Like, I, I have a fiancé, and sometimes I wonder if she even likes me. But uh, other than that, I don't even, like, I suck at it. I don't know what it is. I feel like an alien here, like resident alien. No, but, uh, like, so I had a weed dealer. He not, but I got the medicine also. He went away, but he was sort going, of afraid. Going back to what I was saying before, as a, you know, a teenager, my town was much smaller, and I was, like, the first gothic kid in my town, like, in the in 1980s. So it was... It was a difficulty, but you know, it blossomed into this whole huge thing. So now I'm doing these other things and I hope that'll blossom into a whole huge thing too for this next uh, stage in my life. Well, I mean, it's definitely fascinating and you're definitely come across as very intelligent and you should like, you know, you, you have wrote a book, but have you gotten it published or you should definitely move in that direction? The book I gave you? Yeah, is that, yeah that's, that's actually published that's, on Amazon, right? Yeah, that's published. Okay. Yeah. No, I've, I've, I've had several books published. That one is different from all the others. So. What is, how can people find that on Amazon so I can direct them? Edward Pandemonium, right? I wrote that under the name Fourth Wave Initiative because I want to start a nonprofit. And, I'm, uh, and, and in uh, 2025, we're going to redo that book update it because things are changing so fast and I may not be the only author. So that's the way, that's the reason that I did it that way. Um, I have a number of books under my name, Edward Pandemonium that people can find that are, but, but they're different than that. But at the same time, they're probably things that'd be of more interest to the listeners of your show because they come from my past. See, when I first started putting these ideas out there, I came from kind of an occult background and that's what I was writing about. And that was a way to express the ideas. And it gradually, you know, over time, it was like it was taking things from the spiritual and the abstract into the concrete and the mundane. And that's where the Agathon engine came about. And that's where I'm trying to focus now. And if I rely too much on my past, obviously, I don't have, you know, the kind of credibility with, you know, more mundane people. And things like, like that, but the gospel of pandemonium. Wow, that's yeah, that, that book would not have any credibility with mainstream people whatsoever. <laughs> that, well, that, that was my last book on that kind of like a cult topic, and it is pretty spicy. So, cool. Well, we've had Temple of Set on Don Webb many times. I see mm -hmm. it says from the Aeon of Set through that age of uh Satan and the Aeon of Horse. Definitely interesting, yes. uh, for sure. 
So now uh, we're so now we're confirming all the conspiracy theories that Satanism and transhumanism are linked to each other, I guess, by like putting that book and my new book together. But and uh, well, definitely fascinating. <laughs> you can go to Edward Pandemonium and uh, see his books, and then how do they how do they go to the the other one, Fourth Wave Initiative? That's what it's written as. I mean, but I mean, the book is called The Agathon Engine. All they have to do is look for it on Amazon. Spell Agathon for those out there that A G A T H O N. Okay. I'm just making sure I'm plugging your stuff in case time runs out. We still got a good bit, but I just want to make sure I get that in there in case I. Yeah, like I said, I have no clock here, so I don't even know how long this has been going on. Well, well over an hour, I guess it looks like I see up in yeah. the corner of your page. Yeah. We got right about halfway mark. 47 minutes or something. So have you personally had any, a lot of spiritual experiences or paranormal? Has there been like weird things that happen? Like My whole just, life has been weird. I wouldn't even know really where to start. Any UFO stuff? I have not had UFOs. And I'll tell you something. This may come as a shock, but I was not interested in UFOs for a long, long time which seems like something that it would be a natural thing for me. See, you know, when I was, I don't know how old you guys are. 45. Okay, well, I'm 52. So as a kid in the 70s, right, everything on TV was Bigfoot, UFOs, Stonehenge, ghosts, right? Yes. I mean, it was, that was, that was it. Yeah, that was yeah. a big fad, pop culture like deal. <laughs> so like, but UFOs, I just was like, eh. It's interesting from a science fiction point of view, but I just never got into it. Then much more recently, I got into the idea that like UFOs are just kind of like the modern version of like the fairies and like other like paranormal things. And that there's a wider phenomenon that goes beyond the idea of like aliens and nuts and bolts, spaceships and things like that. And I became, I've become quite interested in that and uh but that's fairly recent yeah there, there's i've seen some fairy stuff that's related to ufos very similar very similar phenomenon i sure. personally have not seen any ufos i'm a little jealous of your experiences i've had i've had so many crazy things happen but they're not like where people talk about like they saw a ghost or they saw a demon or they saw a ufo or that kind of thing that's just Largely like just bizarre concatenations of super synchronicity and coincidence that like are impossible to even explain and things like that. Now, my mother, before I was born, had poltergeist experiences and things like that, you know, on that on that property that I talked about that my family had owned. She had experiences where like one day the soap flew off the counter by the stove. Um, she came home one day and I, I, I don't know why they would do this, but I guess a thing in the circa 1960 was that they would roll wet blouses up in towels so they wouldn't wrinkle maybe or something. I don't know. She had a lot of those on a table and she came back and they were all gone, all her favorite blouses. And then she came back one day and on the table this was when she was older and she was in college and came home from school. She said there was like symbols on the table drawn in like dirt or something, uh, dust or yeah. 
And, and, you know, I kind of believe this sort of thing because, number one, my mother is someone who would, like, not want to be involved in anything like this. And number two, she was talking about these experiences long before, like, they were things that were in films, you know, that would be in somebody's imagination, a girl's imagination, that kind of thing. And then she talked about, like, a dark presence in her bedroom one night, things like that. So she had experiences like that, and frankly, I'm a little jealous. Because, you know, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't necessarily had, you know, experiences like that. I've had a lot of weird experiences, but they were in context of, like, my work and things like that. Just just bizarre, you know. I, I've never, like, seen, seen a full-on, like, entity or, or anything like that. I've, I've had, like, experiences that maybe were, like, entity-related, like, telepathically. But, you know... So I'm a little jealous of people because I've been involved in this for a really long time and I feel like I deserve that kind of thing. <laughs> so, you know, so, but, uh, yeah, but. Jay, Jay saw Bigfoot once. We don't want him to. Did you? I'll tell it briefly. He saw it looking in a window and that's, he's, they saw it. They saw, so I've never you, seen a Bigfoot. What do you think about Bigfoot? Do you think Bigfoot is just like an animal, like an ape, or do you think Bigfoot is some kind of interdimensional Dude, I, I don't think it's interdimensional. I didn't. It did, it didn't uh, display any of that kind of behavior. Um, <clears throat> there, there is a possibility that um, in, in there's a book called the uh, the Blue Planet Project book that has a list of some like 160, 180 different alien species that have and or are still visiting the Earth. And one of those species is kind of like a Bigfoot, Chewbacca, Wookie kind of thing that that uses technology. So there, there may be some people mistaking their Bigfoot experience for an alien looking Bigfoot experience. But the one I saw, it was human. It was as close to being human. It was closer to human than any chimpanzee or ape we have on record. And the the chimpanzee is like the closest thing to us. They're like 99.99% dead on. So maybe you would call it more like a Neanderthal kind of looking? Human. It looked 100% human. One, I mean, except, except for the fact that it was like 13 feet tall and covered in 90% 90% full of hair, but uh, it was without question a human face. There, you, you couldn't wild. fake that. That's wild. I think there's something weird to them. I don't know exactly what, but if you look up Ron Moorhead, which is like a top level Bigfoot dude that's been around town, he has a book called Quantum Bigfoot. And he gets into quantum physics and Bigfoot and bending light. And there's something there. I don't know exactly what. But there's something weird, for sure. <laughs> I have a book on Bigfoot filled with interviews with people from Bigfoot Field. Well, of, cor- of course, in... In, uh, in Florida, we have what they call the skunk ape. Yeah, same thing. And uh, the, when I looked up a long time ago on the Bigfoot website, there were two sightings in a little place called Elfers. It's really so adjacent to the town that I live in that it might as well you know, be the town. But see, here in Florida, there's an issue where we have, like, a lot of tourist attractions, and uh, apes have escaped. And there are, like, wild monkeys and, and, and wild apes in Florida now. And, and sometimes I feel like some of the things they're describing are that. Because, I mean, you know, obvi- obviously, as I said, coming from, like, you know, being interested in this stuff as a child, I have a I, you know that kind of thing but i'm also like trying to discount 
like any kind of like mundane uh, explanations. A lot of people don't understand like chimpanzees, for example, when they're older, their faces turn totally black. They're not like the chimpanzees that you see. They have the pale faces as, as children and stuff like that. So, I mean, like a, a wild chimpanzee would obviously look like a Bigfoot to somebody. And, and we have that here. So you, you have to kind of take that thing into consideration. I don't know. It's it's like I say, I wasn't interested in it for a long time, but but now it does it does interest me because we we obviously live on a very small like we perceive a very small sliver of what's going on. You know, I don't I don't remember which uh, Carlos Castaneda book it was, but you know, Don Juan took Carlos Castaneda to a valley, and he had a table set up. You know, with like, I don't know, dishes, teacups, whatever and stuff. And he was like, okay, Carlos, you know, this this little setup we have here is, is the reality that we normally perceive. And the real reality is this. And he held out his arms and it was like the big wild valley, you know, around them in the mountain and, and so on. Uh, you know, that's that's real. That's true. You know, that metaphor is not entirely a metaphor. It, that's the way it is. Definitely, I like. Carlos I'm always Castaneda. looking for those experiences, though. Have you ever seen that uh, guy that's frozen stiffs has a, a hearse ice cream truck in Tampa? Sells ice cream out of a hearse. Yes, frozen stiffs. I've had him on. It was a good show. Oh, he was Tony. Tony was on your show. Yeah, sure was. Tony was one of my yeah. Tony was one of my best friends in high school. He lived with me for a couple weeks when like his he was fighting with his grandparents. Awesome. That's crazy. <laughs> they gave me goosebumps. Yeah. I saw I saw his my fiance saw it and shared it and then I said, I'm gonna write this guy and get him on. It'd be yeah. weird. And I said I said I was on. I said I was the first gothic person in my town, but he was a close second. Awesome. That's cool. I know he's into music and stuff. We talked about a lot of music and stuff like he that. He moved. I haven't. I haven't really been in contact with him in a long time. He moved to Atlanta for a long time. He came and back, it, huh? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he came back. Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of a lot of see. There used to be a. There used to be when I talked about the clubs in Tampa and so on. There used to be a club called Masquerade, and they opened one in Atlanta. I've been to Atlanta. People, yeah, a lot of people moved up to Atlanta. He did. He was one of them. He was there for a long time. He very recently came back. I have not been in contact with him except on Facebook since that time, and even that only a little bit. But yeah, we were we were we were quite tight when we were in high school. And as I say, there was a time period he was fighting with his grandparents, and uh, he didn't have a place to be. So like, he was at my house for a couple of weeks, and then he went back to uh, his, his grandparents. So yeah, I know him. I thought Masquerade shut down. They moved, or moved it, or something happened to it. That, you know, up there, they hang out little five. We had all time. We had a we had a thing last Halloween where like this uh, theater downtown in Newport Ritchie. It was built in silent movie times. Um, did of did the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which to me was was huge. It's like I'm not as into the Rocky Horror Picture Show as I was as a teenager. But, like, just the fact that, like, you know, that I used to go to Tampa 
in the 80s for the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And now it had come back to my town where I was given a hard time for going to the Rocky Horror Picture Show, that kind of thing. It was a big deal. So I went. I was very surprised he didn't come with, with his uh, with his ice cream truck. That would have been the perfect uh, venue for that. Yeah. But I don't know. So, Tony, if you're listening, I don't know, man. If they do if they do the Rocky Horror Picture Show again, you got to come. <laughs> you got to come because we used to go there and you got to bring your truck. So, silent movies. Sorry. I love old silent movies. Nosferatu. I have a set of all these horror ones that are really good. This was, originally a movie, this was originally a movie theater and for a long time they've done plays. I think if they went back to doing like kind of like occasionally doing cult classic and like big, big name old movies showing them, they would, they would bring in money that would help support them but i'm not in charge of that so check this out i went to a drive-in recently in alabama 30 minutes from me in newton that was starlight drive-in but it's like this nice drive-in in the middle of the country and it was like well taken care of it just surprised me it was like being on another planet and you had to tune in with your radio to listen it was a really cool experience the movies weren't that great that I saw because they got rid of one, some of the ones I wanted to see, but I saw Bullet Train and Top Gun, which the new Top Gun, which I don't really give a crap about Top Gun. It's like Dirty Dancing with Airplanes, but we watched <laughs> both of them. Bullet Train was okay. It was Brad Pitt, but wasn't the best movies, but it was a good, cool experience. I want to go there when there's some better movies for sure, uh, but that was really cool. It just hadn't been a drive-in in 30 years or more, forever. It was just a neat experience, nostalgia-wise. Had a drive-in. Oh, there's one thing I wanted to tell, and then we'll get back into some of your subject matter. The other day, I had a weird paranormal experience. It's been a while since I've had one. I don't remember. Had a few weird things where something hit something, and a, hit a bed, something hit the RV, and then a glass blew up. That has been, God, years ago. Uh, but this one, I was outside, and it was twilight, and the sun was going down. It's kind of pink, and I saw something floating around a dead tree, and it was not a bird. It was not a, I don't know what it was, but it looked like a little, like a maybe a bean. I don't know what the hell it was, but at first I thought it was because I had looked at the, the, the light in the porch and it you know made a, a an effect like it does when it messes with your eyes but then I adjusted everything to make sure no it was a weird little black thing just floating around the top of a dead tree and it for some reason it made me think of those creepy little hooded beings I saw a long time ago I don't know what it was I don't think it was it wasn't a kite wasn't a drone it was weird but I don't know what it was but it was definitely Made me say, God, I hope that's not one of those things you see and then you die later or something. Like, I remember some meme on Facebook about owls that eat your heart from some native folklore or something. <laughs> but uh, there's, there's one time I said, What is it? The stikini? I just saw that the other day. I'd, I had never heard of that before. The what was it? Stikini or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, well, I was like, well, that is a, that's like the seminal version of the exact thing that was in Twin Peaks, but on the diametrically opposite end of the country. Because it was owl spirits that fed yeah. on people. I was like, fantastic. 
I saw the new Twin Peaks, and I always remember that little boy getting hit and the light beam coming out of it because I've seen light beams. So I was like, David Lynch knows he's, he's got it. Like, he saw like this light thing leave the little boy when he got hit by a car and right. the new Twin Peaks. But, uh, and then of course, I always say Ron Howard's Cocoon 1 and 2. That's a Opie trip and found out the truth. There's something the guy, to, to the energy beings. The guy, Mark Frost, that uh, is the co-creator of Twin Peaks, is actually more the guy that's into a lot of esoteric, excuse me, esoteric stuff. He's into, like, theosophy and, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, background of the Twin Peaks mythology actually comes from him. You know, things Ooh. that he brought in things from theosophy, brought in things from... Uh, uh, Whitley Strieber with the owls and and things like that. So he gets credit for that stuff more so than David Lynch, not to take anything away from David. But. Ooh, that scientist Richard Allen Miller was basic. Somehow he was, Mulder from X-Files was based on him. And he told the story and everything about Chris Carter and all this weird stuff. But somehow that character is based on him. And he's dead serious about it. At first, I was like, is this dude making up stuff? But no, he's been on coast to coast and telling the same story, but just some weird, weird situations. <laughs> but, uh, Jay, anything you want to add? I know you're back. You have a yeah, um, I, I did. I wanted to talk to you about the technology blooms. Um, what is it that you mentioned in your book? Um, where is that page? There it is. So you say that um, the, you know, Toffler's book and, and some of the consciousness that you're talking about based on some uh, technology blooms like the settled agricultural industrialization and computerization. Do you think, or do you feel that any of these the technological blooms, and then there's, there's, been, there's actually more than three. I, I, I think three is a, a low number, but uh, it seems to me that the technology blooms we've had are not natural. Like it's from somewhere other, some other location. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Well, in the traditions I come from, consciousness is not natural. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, you, it, it, I mean, it depends on how you define natural. But if you define natural as mechanical, as the things that just happen in the course of nature as a cause, sort of cause and effect, the idea of like uh, consciousness, volition, uh, imagination, those kind of things can transcend and, and, and move against what is mechanical. So they are by that definition in that context, you could call them unnatural. And so yeah, I have to think that it's because it's been so exponential since like you just go back to the turn of the century, you know, to the last turn of the century, 1900s till now. I mean, in, in, the, in the 1900s, like 1901, we had no airplanes. 1905, we have airplanes. 1945, now we have jet airplanes you know i mean it's just the progression is so fast that it, it seems completely unnatural that it's being yeah. somehow like it's being guided from some un, unseen hand and i think that uh, there's a good possibility that there's some extraterrestrial uh guidance and or some you know nuggets of technology being dropped down on us so that we can improve to their level for whatever reason that they want maybe but i mean have you ever had experiences in your life where like once you got the gist of something, it started to like exponentially expand. You got a momentum going. 
and it got faster and faster. It snowballed. You know, the, if you were if you were free to go with that, you know, it, it rolls, it goes, it gets bigger and big, bigger, bigger, on a kind of exponential way. I mean, you know, once once technology really got going, you know, it, uh, an, uh, an exponential expansion was kind of inevitable. Mm -hmm. I think. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to, I don't want to downplay this kind of external thing that you're saying because, but at the same time, what I said was that consciousness itself is, is an outside influence. And once consciousness becomes more conscious and like has the freedom to like work and do those kind of things, you know, in the, in the, uh, you know, in the middle ages and, and, and what have you, there wasn't like a lot of, uh, this goes back to Virginia Postral and the, Freedom in it and its enemy, or the future and its enemies book. Mm -hmm. um, in the Middle Ages, you know, you know, everybody talks about the church, right? The church was a clamp on progress and things like that. But you had you had actually a number of clamps on progress. You had like the guilds, which were like you know, kind of like keeping technical skills from progressing and and things like that but once you got into the industrial revolution and you got into like uh economic freedom and political freedom and the enlight the enlightenment being kind of like you know at the same time as that parallel to that uh, i can't think of the guy's name but there's a tv show called connections that i really recommend they yeah. show us how like these things happened, and once they get you know once things get going, and if they're free to do so, they gain a natural momentum. It's like a, you know, things rolling downhill, they get faster and faster, or, or that kind of thing, as an example, as a metaphor. Um, but as I say, but as I say, consciousness I feel is unnatural in a way, and like if we go back to what I said earlier about not being into ufos and so on until i was presented with an idea of them being a larger idea than just nuts and bolts spaceships and things consciousness plays into that and it's like there's a whole other world over there mm -hmm. somewhere somehow you know there's a there's a there's a world of consciousness and there's a world of material expression and things start in consciousness and they gain momentum and if they don't have any kind of like resistance or block, then that momentum goes and goes and goes. And when, as it goes, it becomes exponentially faster and these things happen. So, I mean, that's not to go against the idea of what, of what you're saying, but it's a larger context in which that occurs. Yeah. I, I, I tend to agree with you on almost all of that. The problem I think is, is, we, we may have both different philosophies. I, I just feel that the, the the speed of the technology as it's speeding up, we're, it's quickly outgrowing our emotional control and understanding of it. You know what I mean? You know, like, it like, absolutely almost, is. Almost to the point where we're, we're, we're too young to have what we now have. Yeah. And when you, what, when you listen to this again, earlier we talked about the idea of like transforming human consciousness in a way to be able to cope and manage that was you may you may have been off the show at that time i don't remember but 
We did talk. We did. We did talk about it. Yeah, I know it's been when my computer crashed. I don't. I don't know what happened. It's just it, all kinds of pages opened up. I couldn't hear anything. And all of a sudden, I'm like, "All right, I'm." I've been. But that guys. goes. But that, that. But that does go full circle to the yeah. to the fact when I said, "Ordinary Joe Blow on the street cannot be like outfitted with like godlike technology," because he has a lot of human shit in his mind, and in his heart. There needs to be a transformation of the inner person that goes along with the transformation of the outer person, which is something that I addressed earlier. That's yeah, why, that's yeah. why like right now, I, and I talked about this in the book, I'm working with people that are teachers, that are psychologists, things like that. Hopefully, I mean, we don't have a lot of time. I don't know what's, I don't know how it's going to work out, but like, you know, if we can get something going within this decade, it is a race, as I talked about in the book. No, you're absolutely right. You ever got into Jeffrey Mishlove, Benny? Is that name ring a bell? That's a good one. Jeffrey Mishlove. You know what's funny is Jeffrey Mishlove, I saw, I have a videotape of him interviewing Robert Anton Wilson that was given to me that somebody had and I it got into my hands somehow from like a long time ago. I mean, like the eighties or the early nineties. And it's a really weird, awkward video. And I didn't like think much of Mishlove <laughs> because, because of that interview, because he's just saying stuff and he's laughing like inappropriately. And Robert Anton Wilson is just looking at him strangely and stuff. It's a really super awkward video. So I put him out of my mind for a long time, but I've watched stuff that he had recently to do with like his videos on like the PK man and like, yeah, and I was like, well, you know, that guy, he's, he, he's still here. He's doing good stuff. I was, you know, he's got a good book roots of consciousness. I've interviewed him, but it's been so long. I don't even remember when, but that PK man is pretty fascinating. That's a weird, weird story. It really is. Yeah. Like I'd have to look it up again, but basically a dude that was says he causes earthquakes or something like it was he weird. Could, he could control storms and lightning and things like that. I have that book. You know what I understand? I haven't. Mishlove wrote a book about the PK man that I've meant to read, but I haven't gotten to it yet because I just have so much stuff that I have to read. Same here. I have it here somewhere. But that was the idea, and it was like apparently he was in. I did read the PK man, and I can't think of his name. The PK, man. yeah, the guy's actual name. But he wrote a book on how to talk to aliens. It was like so. Really? It was, I mean, that was the title of it, like how to talk to aliens or something like that. I like to check and it I did out. read that, and like it was basically to imagine these two uh, cricket or locust-like aliens and a visual yeah. like a tv screen or a computer monitor or something and and there was a symbol with a lightning bolt and and, and I found a red it. disc that you were supposed to imagine and things like that telepathic interaction with these he said visualize these things and it will hit, hook you up to telepathic interaction with the aliens and stuff like that and uh, i didn't really pursue it but like I, I, How to contact the space people. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. it looks like a Timothy Beckley book, but I don't think it is. 
the UFO man. Timothy Beckley, oh my, like inner light publications. Uh, yeah, I've interviewed him. In oh, I've inter he passed away not too long ago. Did he? Yeah, he sure did. did. But he, he's a trip. He used to send me boxes of books. But the one, I mean, I, I liked him, but there was something kind of creepy about him. But uh, anyway, he was one of those people you interview and you can't get a word in. It's like, will you just shut up for a second so I can, like, ask a question? He's like, yeah. but that's only other than that. He passed away. But, yeah, I, I looked up that book. I saved the cover to look that up later. That's pretty fascinating how to contact space people. <laughs> but, yeah, the PK man and, like, the Skinwalker Ranch stuff, I watched that and I was like, this is good stuff. It is so I changed my mind about Jeffrey Mitchell, but I still That's haven't watched good. a lot of his stuff. But you know, I watched the Skinwalker Ranch show. I'm familiar with it all. The books. There's a new and book. This is, a complete, you know, this is a complete digression from my work and everything that we've talked about, but but it's fun. So let's go there. There's a new book, uh, uh, Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, that supposedly the is guy, a sequel. When I first saw like a preview or a trailer or whatever for the skinwalker ranch tv show and i saw the guy who bought it the guy who owned it and he had like a hellraiser box like on his shelf behind him in his office i was like fantastic i need to watch this show so i watched the show right and they did the thing where they had the the tesla coils the big tesla coils that was one episode then they did the thing where they did the recording from like the rabbi or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And they did all these different things and they got like different results. And I was like, all of these things are components of a single ritual by Anton LaVey called the electrician Vorspiele, the electrical preludes. And I was like, if they did like all of them together, like if they did the, the Tesla coils, and the recording, but if they use, say, for example, the recording of Aleister Crowley doing the Enochian calls instead of the rabbi, and they did all these things together, holy moly, what could they do? But, you know, they haven't asked me to be a consultant. There there are computers so. called Satan. That was always kind of weird. Computer there, but it's a Skinwalker Ranch. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they named it Satan. There's also a sequel to that book. You know, there's a book the Hunt for the Skinwalker by George Knapp and Colin Kelleher or something, something. But it's a real good book. But there's a sequel that just came out to that book called Skinwalkers at the Pentagon. And it's about, uh, it's all about all kinds of crap. But anyway, the main, one of the stories is some military that went out there had phenomenon follow them home. And it, they felt like their children were in danger or something. Hitchhikers. I haven't read the book yet. They called that Hitchhikers. Yeah, they had some situations mm -hmm. like that. People who were in, in that, not just that situation, but UFO situations or whatever, hitchhikers, follow them home. They have weird experiences ranging from poltergeist phenomena to whatever. Yeah. So I know you use the term source in your book. Do you mean the creator, God, or the source of all of life, the sun? What do you mean by source? Well, I just mean source. That's the easiest way to put it. Because, you know, when you talk about God and this and that, those words have a lot of baggage. So if you just use a word like source, it's very direct, very basic. It conveys the idea directly. Yes. You it definitely know? does. Because the source. if you... Uh, 
everybody has a source if they close their eyes and then they open their eyes and the world is back and you know that's there you know in the center of your head where you're perceiving everything from you know to give uh, some reference to my to my background um, the source point you know of everything and for and for each individual that's right there the way I just described it where it is in the universe or holographically or anything like that it ultimately comes down to the same thing so yeah and I think the Sun is a manifestation of that source so definitely a metaphor certainly you know yeah. going back yeah. to Plato talking about this the Sun as a symbol of the good the source which goes back to what I wrote in the Agathon engine I took the word Agathon from Greek mythology not that mythology Greek philosophy um, the word means good the good good with a capital G the ultimate good and of course you know you're familiar with uh, Plato's cave that idea Plato the idea you get out of the cave you get into the sunlight the Sun is the symbol of the good the metaphor for the good the radiant source point you know but not the sun, the literal sun. I mean, you know, that's 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 for the common people, right? In religion, sun worship and stuff like that. But esoterically, people understand it. The sun is, and in the Mithraic religion, the hypercosmic sun, you have Mithras and Saul meeting each other, shaking hands, having a meal together. Mithras is the hypercosmic sun sun that is not the solar sun that is the central philosophical agathonic sun i mean i don't know maybe i'm like riffing in a place you guys are not following right now but like, i've had experiences with the sun that were extraordinary where i can close my eyes and let the white light fill my body and i've gone into a house and seen entities and it's almost like the sun gives you some kind of gift of seeing it I've been at a gym before, which I haven't been there in a long time, but I, I let the, the white light fill my body. I looked in the gym afterwards, and everybody had a pink orb over them. And uh, I've had a, 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 a scrying situation on a lake with the sun that was showing weird things. And I know we've had Micah Dank on, but I know there's a lot of old paintings where they show, like, Jesus, and then there's always the sun or those kind of, you know, pictures like sure. that. So there's something to it. I think the sun's a big dude. The idea. <laughs> it's the dude. The idea, the, the idea that we have of a symbol today is that a symbol is a kind of a fake or metaphoric uh, representation of something. But a real symbol is like the thing, the actual thing, but then also a representation. So, I mean, like. Perhaps when you go to sleep tonight, imagine the sun. The sun is obviously a big deal. I mean, it's certainly within the cosmos a force, you know. So you can imagine, because things are holographically connected, you can imagine yourself in the center of the sun, or you can imagine the sun in the center of you, in your heart. You could go back and forth, alternate those things, do it for a while and see how you feel. Yeah, there's something to it for sure. Besides the 
burning the hell out of you thing that I don't like about it, yes. but I don't try to curse at it or anything. Of course, in daily life, I'm not a fan. I mentioned being the first gothic person in my town. I'm not a fan. I don't really <laughs> go out there in it, but even though I live in Florida, I'm not a beach person. Yeah, I I went to, people thought I was gothic a lot. And I, after chemo, I came back and I was very pale and I got called vampire and satanist because I was bald and pale and wore a trench coat. But now I'm just kind of like, I don't know what the hell happened to me. I feel like my redneck's trying to catch up with me from Georgia or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the hell's happening. But Jay, anything you want to ask? We got a, few, we got a little bit of... These are weird times, man. Like, in you know, I talk about being the first gothic person in my town. In those days, the rednecks were the enemies. Now I feel like we're more on the same side. <laughs> it's amazing how things shift around from one one decade to the next, isn't it? It's different times. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I don't have anything on my notes here that, that's, that's jumping out a question for me right now at the minute. Um, uh oh, he's going to talk about Dungeons and Dragons or Star Trek. No, so, I don't think I have so. No so we've most the whole show, but we've, we've gone over all of them so far. <laughs> I think we've got it all. Well, did we talk about archaeofuturism? Archaeofuturism. Yeah, that's an important thing for me to talk about. There is a, a guy who wrote about archaeofuturism, and like he was apparently like. Uh, I don't know, a kind of European uh, right-wing guy, and he had kind of a racial philosophy about it. And that's not the way that I mean it at all. What I talk about in Archaeofuturism is a way of, like, redressing an imbalance that exists in our culture where we are cut off from our past, we're cut off from, like, things, but we're, all, we're having these godlike technologies I've talked about, like, come in. So I look to very stabilizing social things from the very ancient past, and I look for like very sci-fi, far future things, and I try to meld them together. The guy who wrote that book, I can't think of his name. You, you'll be able to find it very easily if you like look it up. Isn't it? He wrote a book called Archaeofuturism. He wrote a book called Archaeofuturism 2.0. He talks about like in the future, people living in very high-tech cities, some people living in very high-tech cities, other people living in, like, very, like, primitive villages of the past. And uh, this is this is a thing for, of, that's, uh, you know, uh, part of the Great Reset that we hear about nowadays, which is a whole can of worms that we haven't opened yet. And if we did, we'd probably be here for another three hours. But uh, my idea of it is to take cultural traditions from the past that provide stability to human life and to ground, use them as grounding forces for uh, transhuman and post-human life through the kind of like advanced technology that we're coming into today. And it, which I talked about earlier, the things that are like complete science fiction things today that are coming into reality today, but are not fully uh, diversified and, and diffused out into society yet. Guillaume Fay was the author of that archaeofuturism book that you mentioned. Okay. And just looked it up. Um, 
Yeah, when for, I when for I first example, for example, I'll give you a very easy example for people to understand because the the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies are very popular right now. The Asgardian planet, Asgard, and Wakanda, those are traditional societies that have advanced godlike technology. That is the example of archaeofuturism that I mean, that I talk about. Yeah, when I, when I kind of read that in the pre-show notes, the, 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 I kind of just pictured like an American Native, Native American Indian with a big feather headdress and like, you know, the blaster rifle from aliens, you know, the pulse rifles they had, it's kind of what <coughs> went through my head, you know, it's like modern versus modern and future kind of blends together, like you say. This goes back to a thing that I said earlier, and again, it's a thing that I don't know that you heard because I don't remember when it happened. You might have been offline, but it was about the idea of like there are so many black and white binary dichotomies in our society, and I often cut across them. And this is one of those things. It doesn't. There's an there's an idea that like there's a trajectory, a linear trajectory of time the future and like this is the past this is the future and i was like no we can take things from we we can take whatever we want we can take things from the past that we like we can take things from the future that we like and we can integrate them together in a much more holistic you know society than what we have now it's not it's not an idea of just going from this to this you know it doesn't have to be that way i would i would much prefer to like take you know, very stabilizing forces from the past, whether it be in my in my ancestry, either, you know, like Norse Norse culture or Roman culture and 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 you know, but but with also the benefits, the best parts of that and the best parts of what we are coming into. Because both have flaws mm -hmm. and both have good parts. You know, so we but as conscious beings we can pick and choose. We're not on we're not on a train track. It's not it's not like a one line road from here to there. We we can pick and choose what we want. It's an artistic project. We can pick and choose what we want and collage it together the way that we want and we need to do that. Because there are lessons from the past that are important and there are things that are emerging now as far as like technology and like our future as a culture and as post-human beings and things that are important they're not mutually exclusive yeah no i agree and i was kind of, with that description with that explanation a little bit further I, I get more of a vision like you know like leave it to beaver but like there's innocence in the in the family of the 50s what what the connectivity of today where you know almost everything is instant like if something explodes in china you hear about it over here within minutes you know, imagine if we had the family values of the 50s today with today's connectivity. Yeah, I don't think we'd have, you know, something going on in, in Ukraine versus Russia right now. I don't think there'd be have any you seen strife. In, in, in earlier books, and I mean, this is going into like my occult work that I don't necessarily want to talk about that much right now. But like I talked about ancestor veneration, which is a huge thing around the world. It's valuable for everybody. Obviously, there were things with our ancestors that we don't want, but ancestor right. veneration still has value. There's a meme that goes around on Facebook with the like 
fish that first walked on land, right? Yeah. And, so, and the and the person is like, "Oh, ancestor, give me your wisdom." And the fish thing is like it says, makes vague flopping noises, you know that kind of thing. And it's a joke, right? But I mean, but that that fish can tell you some very basic things. It's like survive. The fish will tell you survive, breed. You know, take care of your support your group. You know, very very basic things like that. You know, like it's it's not it's not a lost thing. It it it, it doesn't have to be that way, and people have set it up that way. I talk about this in the Agathon engine. I say there are forces that would very much like us to be very isolated because we're easy to control when we're isolated because we're dependent on the system. We're bought into the system. It's uh, you know, this is obviously a corny thing to ever reference the matrix. Right. But going back to like, you know, the scene from the matrix, these people are all bought into the system. They're all potentially your enemy. Right. So, right, yeah. you know, people are all bought into the system. Don't be bought into the system. It doesn't have to be one way or the other. And that's so much the thinking right now. It's like if you go back to that fish, go back to that fish. He's a fish. <laughs> you know, don't make fun of the fish. Right. He's, <laughs> you know, the fish, the fish got you here. Right. The, fi mm -hmm. the fish, the fish came from the ocean to the land he got you here. So it's like, what is it? What does a fish got to say? Survive, get nutrition, breed, support your group. Right. Right. <laughs> Basic things. And, and look at, look at all those things I just listed. How many of them are attacked today? How many of them are like, you know, things that people don't either don't care about or actively like dismiss. Mm-hmm. Well, hey guys, uh, we got to start closing out here. Uh, it's been great having you on. Uh, we've enjoyed it. It's been some great conversation. Do you have anything? You, what do you can you tell people where to get your books at again? The book that I really want to promote right now is The Agathon Engine. People can look up Edward Pandemonium and find my other books, but the book I really want to promote right now is The Agathon Engine. That's called the world building primer for the 2020s. So it is time sensitive. It is very important. All right. Well, we appreciate it so much, Edward. It's been great having you on. I appreciate having conversation. And especially uh, since you came to me, you know, out of nowhere, I didn't solicit you. Somebody put you on to me, so it was good. Good for sure. And we'll get you on again sometime. We enjoyed it. And thanks to your friends for helping you out. And we appreciate it. Keep us in the loop. And That's I right. might have to private you about those uh, immortality secrets sometime. Those, those things. <laughs> I will hook you up. I feel like somebody beat the hell out of me lately. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. You look at you look at you look at my picture that you put up on your ad. That was five years ago. I was forty-seven. So you ask yourself if I look 47 and see what you think. All right. Well, we appreciate it so much. Uh, definitely stay in touch. And uh, hopefully Florida doesn't sink. And if it does, hopefully it does, <laughs> we've moved by then. And hopefully right. it just hits me like, right, I get I get the oceanfront property. Sure. I don't die. <laughs> 
Thanks we appreciate very much. it. Thanks so much. And uh, everybody listening tonight, Public Radio 107.7 FM, New Orleans. And uh, we'll see you next week. And uh, let's see, who is that guest? Uh, I just looked at it. My memory's so terrible. Yeah, I was looking at it about an hour ago. Well, it's uh, next week's guest. Oh, Eva Marquez. It's going to be about Palladians and aliens and weird stuff. So. Oh, yay. Yeah, Jay, I love that. But uh, <laughs> all right, everybody have a good weekend. And I want to say I like Rings of Power. I don't. So what? There's multiracial hobbits. I don't give a crap. It's still good. I yeah. like it. It's a I good get, show. I don't, I don't get some of the stressing over a black elf and dark, dark hobbits. I don't know if I'm going to watch She Hulk. Maybe one year, but I like Resident Alien. That's a good one. Alan Tudyk. That's real funny. But uh, I like Rings of Power. I don't care if there's some Asian hobbits and black hobbits. Who cares? These are cocoons. You're going to die. You're going to shed them and fly away from them. Watch it quit being so freaking uptight. Have a good weekend, everybody. Stay out of trouble. Good night, everybody. Take care. Thanks, Edward. Thank you. Take care.